The other category with the asterisk includes institutional killings, sniper attacks, and homicides that occurred under undefined circumstances. But you put everything else in its own category. Why didn't you put sniper attacks? And why did you spell it out under this asterisk? Institutional killings. Oh, is that like the death penalty? No, that's not a homicide. It's definitely not a stranger homicide. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Institutional. 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 Killing. Definition. Institutional murder. Democide, defined as the intentional killing of an unarmed or disarmed person by government agents acting in their authoritative capacity and pursuant to government policy or high command. Oh, police killings. Yeah. Okay, so like in the line of duty, but determined to be a homicide. They should probably just say police murders. Uh, <laughs> but that's clearly why they didn't want to do that. And yep. did you notice how big it is? Yeah. It's like 11%. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. They snuck it under other. Wow. That's some bullshit. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's America. Welcome back, I'm Erin. In this episode, Ethan and I look at the nature and origin of some of the more persistent rumors and misconceptions that have characterized this case. We also look at data from the Bureau of Justice Statistics and use it to discuss some of the common outcomes associated with both missing persons cases and stranger homicides. Links to the figures and statistics that we cite in the episode can be found in the show notes, and I'll post them to the website as well at the107degree.com. As always, feel free to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or clarifications. One rumor sort of refuses to go away, mm-hmm. and I, I haven't really addressed it before because it's kind of not as relevant as some of the other ones, but... Mm-hmm. Um, you mean like, even if true, it doesn't really matter? Yeah. Yeah. It's the supposed affair with Hussein Baghdadi, who was the assistant graduate track coach of the men's track team. Supposedly, Moore had a relationship of some kind with right. with him. Described for some reason as an affair, even though she wasn't married or even dating Bill at the time, right? Yes. Uh, so there's like a couple of different elements of this rumor. All right. Like one, that it was an affair. Two, that it was somehow illicit. Mm-hmm. For the affair part, I don't think that either of them were in a relationship because even in Renner's book, uh, this is page 112, it says, this is Haas talking, we were in constant contact and then she just kind of fell off the face of the earth. I got this random email about her boyfriend. They had started things back up. She left whatever we had. Right, so if they started things back up, that implies that they had stopped. Correct. Yeah, it seems like, certainly it didn't seem like Haas was saying that he thought that she was cheating on Bill with him. So if he didn't mention that or think that, then why? Why are we assuming it? 
Yeah. And I have to believe it's just from the fact that like, oh, she was dating Bill and then, oh, but she was also seeing this Hoss guy without acknowledging the fact that she and Bill might have broken up mm-hmm. and then gotten back together, which is like weird because that happens all the time. So I don't know why people wouldn't think about that. I don't know how you go through college and don't witness some of those on again, off again relationships. I don't... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's pretty common standard stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing, nothing abnormal about that. Mm-hmm. So do we know how long this relationship went on sounded like not that long i don't know yeah i mean i'm not even sure i would call it a relationship it sounded pretty informal yeah yeah i mean there's there's the so it's hard to precisely pin down you know when her relationship with bill was not active and when her relationship with hoss was and then when she got back together with bill but the point being you know we can't really pin it down Nobody else can either. How can you assume that you that there were infidelities? We just don't. We don't really know. Yeah, and from what we do know, it sounds like there weren't. It sounds yeah. like she was pretty clear about what her relationship status was and communicated it like an adult. Yeah. But at any rate, I've continued to hear people refer to quote more as infidelities. Infidelities. Yes. So I, I think that that should probably just stop right so what is the what is the source of this is renner the original source or did it exist prior and renner did the investigation and actually interviewed this guy so i think that he talked to a couple of people on the track team and they mentioned that he might want to talk to to haas because she was friends with him and then he did he like subsequently talked to him and apparently he admitted that they had some kind of relationship okay but it's sort of been like turned into this illicit affair that she was trying to hide from everyone because if it got out it would be a big scandal which sort of leads into the second like aspect of this rumor which is that it was somehow against university policy Mm -hmm. and it was not umass up until actually april of this year did not police relationships between consenting adults they had a policy that If you had a supervisory role or if you were a faculty member in charge of a student or a graduate student, Mm -hmm. then you had to report your relationship, but they did not prohibit any adult relationships. Right. It's a very liberal school. Yeah. It's not unusual for universities, especially Northeastern universities, to not really have rules about that. And it's also kind of like a common thing and has been for a while in academia where people will actually end up you know dating graduate students you know who are who are faculty and sometimes marrying them and it's just not seen as as that unusual right and even under the stricter rules now that they have i think that they do prohibit relationships where there's a supervisory role now probably because of what's been going on yeah (laughs) the news (laughs) yeah it's probably wise But point being that even under the stricter new rules, their relationship would not have violated university policy because the relationships that existed before that are sort of grandfathered in and they're not going to touch them. Yeah. Interesting. So. Right. Doesn't apply. Mm -hmm. It seems like the basis of this rumor was simply that he was a graduate student and she was not. And he was at some sort of role with the team that was a i guess he's like a coach like assistant coach or something yeah i'm not even sure that he was paid because i 
university uh, employee salaries are public, and I tried to look for his, and I couldn't find it. Yeah. Well, there you go. So I'm not even sure it was a paid position. Yeah. So it's like it, it never made any sense that it was an illicit relationship. Mm-hmm. And certainly having looked up the actual policy doesn't make any sense to posit that it was illicit. Now, they might have wanted to keep it secret. That's another matter. Right. I mean, some people are just more private about their uh, romantic relationships than, yeah. than others. Or their life in general. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of ironic, actually, right now that we're talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. You know what? We didn't bring it up. Yeah. That's actually part of why I haven't touched some of this stuff for yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, I do kind of, I find this interesting. This is really not, but quoting Haas. And she never mentioned her father, not once. I never even knew her father was still alive. Uh, that's a weird thing to say, because why would you phrase it like that? Most people's parents are still alive when they're in college. Right. So, like, why would you even have reason to doubt that? Like, A. B, some people don't talk about their parents. Now, it could be that to Haas that was weird because he talked about his parents all the time. And so he's like, well, everyone was talking about their parents all the time, but like plenty of people don't. Mm-hmm. Also, if he thought it was that odd, like, why didn't he ask about her parents? Like, did he ever ask and she didn't, you know, like it, it, the whole thing just seems bizarre and not like a thing a person would actually say. It seems contrived. Yes. And maybe, maybe he said something like she didn't talk about her family a lot and the quote got turned into something, you know, more, <laughs> more specific. Right. Right. Because you're right. Why would you assume that just because you don't talk about someone that they're not alive? Yeah. That's bonkers. <laughs> and just for the record, uh, Mr. Murray, in one of his two open letters, talks about the time that he met Haas. <laughs> So, so Interesting. it's possible that Haas said that, but it's it's not true. Right. Yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. And there was still a lot that um, Fred Murray and and other people were were keeping quiet. The promiscuous stuff she was doing with her friend, um, you know, the the affair with the track coach. And then there were these rumors of. Um of darker things that happen at UMass and uh, these uh, parties at the pool that degenerated into, um, you know, debauchery and and uh, uh, nights of sex and, you know, who knows what. Um, but uh, those were rumors to begin with, and uh, I eventually tracked down three men uh, that were on the track teams with her, uh, two of which uh, had uh, knowledge of this, one who participated and uh, they've gone on record with me, um, verifying that these things happened and uh, painting a very different picture of, of Maura Murray, the all-American girl. Uh, we don't get much into the gender dynamics, at least overtly, but it is one of the reasons that I started doing this, because there were all of these, I guess not quite middle-aged, but... Um, <laughs> Like, between, like, 30s, 40s-year-old gentlemen who don't know much about being a 20-something-year-old woman mm-hmm. and, nevertheless, making all kinds of assumptions about her personal life. Yeah. So this is the basis for him calling her promiscuous. He says, this is in the book, After Haas got wind that Mora was missing, he spoke to a UMass detective, but it wasn't clear to me that they ever discussed the sexual relationship. 
He wasn't the only one, he kept reminding me. Mora dated other men on the team. Someone named Dave, he said. Some guy named Scrub. Baghdadi wasn't lying. I spoke to three men who ran with Mora at UMass. Each told me a slightly different version of the same story. One had first-hand knowledge. The gist was this. In 2003, Mora and a close friend were invited to an after-hours party at the athletic pool with three select upperclassmen who had gone on to become prominent businessmen. One of the guys had keys to the facility, and they would all sneak into the pool late at night and drink and swim and have sex. According to each of my sources, these pool parties were straight-up orgies. Mora had sex with all three men in one night, one after the other. It's not a big deal, said one. It was in college. It was college hedonistic stuff. Only one of the men involved in the gangbang ever spoke to police after his ex-girlfriend suggested to local detectives that he might be involved with Mora's disappearance. But he swears he never talked to Mora after she left the team. So let's break this down just slightly. For one, he's using exclusively male sources to call her promiscuous. Mm-hmm. First, he was informed by somebody who Mora more or less slighted, ghosted, mm-hmm. <laughs> Haas, says that she's promiscuous and that it wasn't just him, she slept with other people. By the way, Runner notes that he didn't disclose his relationship to the detective yeah. that he spoke to. <laughs> so that's, that's like one thing that you might want to inquire about. Why not? Right. Anyway, then he spoke to three people that ran with Mora. Each told a slightly different version of the same story. One had firsthand knowledge. So so one person is saying that they were actually there and this thing happened. The other two, it's just a rumor right. that they heard. That is not a source. That is the echo chamber. Yeah, that's three people telling the same story because one person was the source of it. Like, you can't use a person as a source and then say that two other people who weren't there are also sources. They probably heard from that one same person. Yeah. That's absurd. You shouldn't even mention the other two people if they weren't there, first of all. Right. They don't have first-hand knowledge. They don't matter. It's the equivalent of using, like, the graffiti on a bathroom stall as your source. That's what this is to me. Yeah. We have no idea, by the way, who these, quote, prominent businessmen, Mm -hmm. wolves of Wall Street are. Or what their intentions were, or what perhaps ulterior motives they might have had. I mean, I know it might seem shocking, but sometimes men um, exaggerate their sexual prowess. Yeah. And even discuss people that they have had no relationship with, but Mm -hmm. everyone thinks that they do, or there's a rumor that there is. Yeah. What happens if Renner publishes his book and I tell him that I wasn't involved in that? Well, then people will think I lied about when I bragged that I was involved in this. Mm-hmm. So I got to keep this, you know, there's absolutely no reason to trust this person. If they even exist, if we give the benefit of the doubt that he actually did talk to this guy and this guy says the specific stuff that he says he said. Right. I mean, you have to question, why are you so concerned with concealing your identity if you think it's no big deal? He literally quoted, it's not a big deal. Well, then why are you afraid to reveal your own identity? Right. Uh, so the other interesting element of it is one of the men involved in the, quote, gangbang spoke to police after his girlfriend suggested to local detectives that he might be involved with Moore's disappearance. So there's a phrase in journalism called burying the lead, right? Mm-hmm. If this person <laughs> could be involved in her disappearance and you don't ask about that, but you ask about the orgies 
And by the way, you must just assume that the ex-girlfriend is a liar because you're not even willing to give her the time of day. Yep. I mean, the man was accused by his girlfriend. By his ex-girlfriend. By his ex-girlfriend of knowing something. Okay, so this person is who you're going with as your source. Like, right away, uh, you've just explained why I shouldn't really regard what that person has to say. Um, certainly not without, like you said, talking to the girlfriend. Or he needed some way to connect this guy to the case at all. Yeah. Because otherwise it's just gratuitous nonsense. And But, oh, wait, if he was brought up as a suspect, oh, okay. So th this is like legit. I can discuss this. Yeah, this is related. Because... Yeah. No, it's disgusting. It's not shocking because like you see this nonsense so often. It still is because of how like horrible it is. But it's like, it's just like, it's such a stereotypical like ass thing to do which is like speculate about the sex lives of young women listen to people who might have an axe to grind and completely trust them like for no reason and again like you said focusing on not on the fact that his ex-girlfriend said he might have something to do with her disappearance but on the fact that this guy said that she was promiscuous. Yeah. And I mean, I think that he says that they've gone on to become prominent businessmen as a way of establishing their credibility. Yep. Um, Which is like, what year is it? Yeah. Like, that's like, well, it's the 1950s and a prominent businessman is a respectable member of society and he wears a suit. And, you know, he is, you know, beyond... <laughs> beyond reproach. Yeah. Beyond questioning. Like, What? I don't even know what it is. It's bizarre. It's very macho and very sexist is what it is. she was just abducted by a random stranger i mean that would be very coincidental it would be i it's, mean extremely kind of like, so it's kind of like the plot of, of psycho where you know you've got this this woman who is you know up there somewhere where she's not supposed to be doing who knows what and then on top of all that a killer comes by statistically it's it's unlikely it's so unlikely. So if she if she isn't alive, therefore, ergo, she must be dead. The person that, that killed her has to be somebody she knew. Shall we move to statistics? Yes. I guess. I don't know. I've sort of avoided talking about the subject because I don't want to sound like pedantic or dull. Mm -hmm. But there's a couple of problems with the way that statistics in general has been talked about in this case yeah i've seen it a couple of times yeah which i guess it makes sense because people are trying to figure out what happened and like there's not much to go on so you're trying to fall back on well if we don't know what happened like can we at least like try to narrow down like what most likely happened so like i get it yeah it definitely makes sense and it's like a very normal way to like approach problems yeah so let's actually explain uh why this, we're even discussing this it's been asserted that uh, missing people are usually, or people who are abducted, are usually abducted by someone they have some kind of connection to. 
They're usually not abducted by someone that they don't know in any way. Or harmed, I think, is the is what has been claimed as being statistically likely. Yeah, so that's been used to infer that she was she had some connection. And I guess to kind of like justify all the interest in all the people like around her. Right. You know, that's me inferring <laughs> what people's motivations are for making this argument. But it's an attractive one because it's like this thing a lot of people know. Like a lot of people are aware that a lot of cases of people going missing or being murdered or whatever is someone who you know. The thing of like, oh, the husband did it or the wife did it is a very well-known phenomenon. Right. I mean, there is some truth to the fact that most people are harmed by people that they know. I mean, I think most people know that and believe that to be true. And when you have no idea what happened, it's definitely smart to look into the likely suspects, family members, people they know. If this had just happened, I would say, yeah, of course, it's most likely that it was someone she knew. This is a cold case. This is a case that's now 14 years old. So a case that's been going for some amount of time, it's probably more likely to be someone random because that's by nature a hard case to solve. So it's going to take longer or not get solved. We're only even looking at this case because it's a hard case. Right. I guess it's kind of natural to think of it in terms of like, well, what are the odds this would happen to me? And think of that as like, well, that's so low. Well, the odds of anything happening to you are very low. The odds that you'll go missing are very low. It's all very low odds when you're considering a person who's just sitting here. We're not. We're considering a person who is missing. Something happened. Right. You have to think about not what is the likelihood that something is going to happen on any given day. It's what is the likelihood that after 15 years of someone not being found and there being no clues on the side of the road or any indication that she walked away into the woods and some indication that she may have gone into a vehicle, what are the odds that she wasn't met with foul play? And those are pretty low. Those are pretty low. Yep. Yeah, very, very low. So we can go through a couple of these because actually some surprised me a little bit. Okay. For one, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, between 21% and 27% of homicides are committed by strangers. So that's about one in five or one in four. That's actually much more committed by strangers than I would have thought. Me too. And I've, I've read other statistics that were around 15%. So this one in particular, I think it was looking at homicides between 2003 and 2010. But if we're going to take like the more conservative number that 15% approximately of homicides are committed by strangers, Mm -hmm. there's approximately 15,000 murders in the United States a year. 15% of that are 2,250. If we divide that by the number of days in the year, it comes out to approximately Six homicides committed by strangers a day. Per day, yep. It's actually not that uncommon from a statistical standpoint. Which it shouldn't be. You know, the U.S. has an issue with violent crime, and there's 300 million people who live here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's a truly gigantic number of people. So when you have numbers that large, yeah, you're going to see some amount of this. Right, I'm just looking through some of these other stats here. It's amazing how many things line up with Mora's case. I've looked at the age for missing persons. In Mora's age range, by far, of the three categories they list, runaway, suicide, foul play, by far the most common is foul play. It's very interesting. Because if you look at some of the other numbers, you know, for an older group, it's mostly suicide, 41 to 65. Mm -hmm. 
for under 17 it's mostly runaways and i think that that occupies a lot of people's headspace as to what happens to people they commit suicide they run away it's very common well for this particular age group foul play very common well not only that but if you look at gender it's the same thing females have it much higher likelihood of being met with foul play than males yeah males are 80 percent of the missing person cases are suicides whereas females it's almost as high a percent are foul play it's like 75 percent or so right and that's an interesting because suicide is a very you know uh prominent theory well she doesn't fit the profile she really doesn't she has no prior suicide attempts that we're aware of yep there was nothing to indicate that she was suicidal. Her age group is not most likely when they go missing to have committed suicide, and her gender uh, in that age group is unlikely to have committed suicide when missing. Yes. One thing that I thought was interesting was figure 2.4. There's a pretty strong correlation between being last seen in public and foul play ultimately being the outcome. Interesting. For foul play... 84.9% were last seen in public. Only 7.5% were seen in private places like their home. And even the study notes that it's like highly significant. Yeah, that compares to if you're looking at uh, suicides, it's almost equal. The numbers who were last seen at home or last seen outside their home or even runaways, it was 55% last seen at home with only 36% last being seen in a public place. So, you know, the fact that the foul play folks were most almost entirely last seen in public and she was last seen in public yeah i also think one other interesting point which sort of aligns with the fact that missing people that were last seen in public have a higher rate of ultimately winding up being met with foul play mm -hmm. is that about 50 percent of people that are murdered by strangers are traveling mm. And I think the way that it's been framed is like, well, what are the odds that she's away from mm -hmm. she's away from everything and she's in this random place and we don't know why she's there? What are the odds that she would be harmed? And actually, they go up if you're traveling. You're more likely to be harmed by a stranger. Which makes sense because you're more vulnerable if you're not in a place that you are familiar with. Right, and it, it reminded me of something that um, Tim and Lance had a criminal defense investigator mm -hmm. on their podcast, episode 27 of the Missing Maura Murray podcast, the one that I reference in like every other episode. And she was very knowledgeable about this because it's her field of expertise. And I remember her saying something about how all of the factors of Maura being alone outside her comfort zone with a vehicle that was not operable mm -hmm. and not having cell phone service actually make her much more vulnerable to a predator or not even a predator. I mean, like the, the other like component of this is it's been framed like if she was harmed, it had to be a serial killer. Like that, that's sort of the way it's framed. It's, it's like the psycho plot theory. Mm -hmm. um, most murderers are not serial killers. In fact, over 99% of them are not serial killers. Yeah, there are people who are killers, they don't know you, but they're not serial killers. Maybe they murder you in the in the course of another crime, you're inconvenient, you're in the way, and then they didn't necessarily plan to murder you, but they don't know any other way out but to murder you. I mean, those cases happen with some regularity as well. And about half of those are committed against victims who are traveling, shopping, or participating in leisure activities away from home. Correct. 
that means three murders per day, roughly fitting Moore's situation. Yes. So if you want to use statistics, there is a reason to think it's not so unusual that it was foul play. They're to think it was foul play. Um, this is a separate question from whether she's, you know, abducted or harmed by a stranger or whatever, but it certainly, you know, points toward yeah. foul play being, according to her profile, it's clearly the most likely cause of her disappearance. Right. You know, now where it gets a little more interesting is when you get down to people who are talking about, well, what about the amount of time? The amount of time that was available for her to be kidnapped is uh, is so small. You know, what are the odds that someone happened on her, you know, in that time? But I would counter with, well, how many times did people find themselves in that situation where they weren't kidnapped? You know, we're looking at a subset here. You're you, When you say like, oh, there was hardly any time for her to go disappearing, you're ignoring all the people who didn't go missing when they had trouble on the side of the road and saying that it's unlikely. Well, if this happens to hundreds and hundreds of motorists, as it does, none of whom go missing, you would expect actually some of them would it's unusual but some of yeah. them would again what are the odds that it won't happen right ever time it will it's definitely going to happen definitely some people who are left alone for a very small period of time on the side of the road at night are going to wind up missing and when you think about the fact that like it's a specifically vulnerable situation being in the middle of nowhere broken car not having cell phone service yep not having cell phone service young woman she was a perfect victim i mean she was the perfect victim really the only thing that wasn't perfect about it was there were houses nearby that's the only thing where someone who was likely to have committed a crime against her might have thought let me not do this because it's too risky mm -hmm. i think it's funny that the people that like to criticize the specificity in which the timeline is looked at yeah. are very sure that she only had three minutes <laughs> to disappear right. when that window could have been as long as 20 minutes yeah or 19 minutes yeah it's probably more like as long as 15 minutes because we we know that butch atwood showed up at some point but it's not an insignificant amount of time for somebody to for multiple people and we know that multiple people drove by the scene on a state highway. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the other thing is nobody went east that night, so she could have walked east and gotten picked up 20 minutes later. Yep. 20 minutes later, half an hour later, 40 minutes later. It doesn't have to be in that three minute period of time yeah. or three to seven or whatever That's people point. are focused on. It doesn't have to be within that window. She could have walked away and then gotten picked up. Yeah. That was the point of time at which she, uh, which she left the car. That's all we know. Yeah. And as far as we know, that's exactly what happened. She walked away. And if she was not near a car, now she's even more vulnerable. I mean, you're just on the side of the road. Jeez. Um, yeah. So, it, and part of the problem, I think, is people can't get into the headspace of a person who would do this, like a random person who would just grab someone off the side of the road and take them and, and harm them. Because um, most of us would never do that. So it's like, well, I can't even imagine. Who are these people? Who are these people? We're just wandering around, ready to take people. Well, I'm sorry. There's a lot of bad people. I know people don't like to talk about it or think about it, but it's just not that weird. Most people are not going to encounter a perfect victim. You know, yeah. they're going to see someone. They're going to be like, oh, I have this impulse to grab this person and assault them for whatever reason. I'm not going to do it, though, because there's people around or because it's daytime or because, it, you know, there's all kinds of reasons not to. And f that's as unsettling as it is. That's part of why there's not more people murdered and hurt. So when you take all that away, when you take all the reasons not to do it away, we shouldn't be surprised that it sometimes happens. Of course not. And the other part of it is that it doesn't have to be somebody who had an intent to harm someone that night. Things can escalate quickly. And 
Mm-hmm. I mean, there could have been any number of things. It doesn't have to be a serial killer situation where somebody was like out on the prowl. Um, there could have been an accident. Yeah, there's a whole range of scenarios, types of people you could have encountered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, any number of scenarios could have transpired. Yeah. I mean, I think one that's not talked about very often is that she could have actually had a head injury. She had been in an accident two days before. She could have hit her head then, too. Yeah, she could have already been concussed. She could have... I hate saying this because mm-hmm. it's awful, but like she could have died for reasons that have nothing to do with homicide or intentional harm of any kind, but a person was on parole or don't have a stellar record right. or shouldn't have been where they picked her up at that particular time. Yep. Any reason why they don't necessarily want to be interacting with the criminal justice system. Yeah, they had any reason at all to not want to be found with a dead person. Which most people wouldn't want to. <laughs> yeah. But some have more at stake and on the line than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, okay, so you got serial killer, that's at one extreme, horrible. And some people, they're not murderers, but maybe they're not behaving in the way that we think everyone should behave. And instead of doing the right thing, which we all want to say that we would all do and everyone should do and most people would do, which is, you know, call it in, get help, they panic and they try to clean up the situation so they don't get in trouble. They become more focused on their own safety and well-being than on that of the random person that they don't know. Mm -hmm. When you put it like that, people being more worried about themselves and protecting themselves, it's not that strange. Of course. Um, We all like to think, oh, I wouldn't do that. I would do whatever it takes to help this person. Well. Okay, maybe you would, but maybe you wouldn't, and maybe lots of people wouldn't. I mean, the reality, sort of curious reality of our justice system is that we we like expect people to always act completely rationally Mm -hmm. in situations where they might be dealing with the most stressful moment of their lives. If if something happens, something something goes wrong, and someone winds up harmed, and they could be blamed for it. If they hesitate for a minute to call police or to call authorities, if they wait an hour, the odds of them being charged with murder or being held responsible for that person's condition for harming that person goes up astronomically the longer you wait. If you wait a day, forget it. You're done. Yeah. So any kind of accident could have happened and framing it in a way where it had to be a serial killer murder or somebody that she knew is just... It's a false dichotomy that is not accurate yeah. at all. I guess the, the moral of the story is I, I think the people who think it must have been if there was foul play, that it was someone she knew, their imaginations aren't uh, big enough, perhaps. <laughs> Ironically. Yeah. And there's a lot of charts here. I didn't go through all these. There's lots of cool stuff here. Yeah, I, I actually had fun looking up all these statistics. If she had been black... Man, that would just spike the odds of homicide. <laughs> I know. Well, you know what's even worse is Native American. Native American numbers were shocking to me. Yeah. Um, the Wind River Reservation specifically, their life expectancy is 49 years. Yeah, that's crazy. That's 20 years lower than an Iraqi. Wow. In, like war-stricken Iraq. Uh, compared to like Southeast D.C., Mm-hmm. where it's like extremely poor. Yep. Their life expectancy is 72 years. Okay. So it's substantially less. Right. I mean there's a lot of reasons for it. One is that like 
obviously the federal government has no jurisdiction and Mm. it's left up to like the tribal organizations but it was pretty shocking Um, I think it's just the dominoes. Dominoes, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. This is a pretty silly one, but believe it or not, I still hear about it. Really? Um, yeah, so, and, and there's nothing specific about the dominoes calls. There's no, like, specific narrative, necessarily. Right, it's not part of, like, a cohesive theory of any kind. Right. It's just like, oh, there's something afoot. Yeah, Um. it's just another one of those things, like, Fill in the blank. Let your imagination take you where it wants. Cool. So um, I think she made two calls in succession one time. Um, So, I mean, honestly, I don't even know how to finish that sentence. So nothing. So she made two calls in succession. But I think that like the insinuation is that she must be calling somebody there for personal reasons. Right. She knew someone at Domino's. Yeah, here we go. So it was on February 5th, the very early morning of February 5th. She called Domino's at midnight, and it was a five-minute call. Okay. And then she called at 12.10 a.m., and it was a three-minute call. And then at 3.40 a.m. on the 6th, she also called Domino's, and it was a two-minute call, it appears. (laughs) Wow, all these calls to Domino's. It's almost like she, like, liked their pizza. But that's impossible. Their pizza's known to be terrible. So I'm going to offer an alternative hypothesis. Okay. Domino's was the latest open place that you could get anything delivered in Amherst. And everybody knew it. It was, like, your last option. Right. It's like if you missed Wings, you, <laughs> you missed their closing time, or, like, Pinocchio's or something. Like, your your only option, your last resort was Domino's. Domino's. It was open until 2 a.m. Sunday through Wednesday, till 3 a.m. on Thursday, until 4 a.m. on Friday and Saturday, which is pretty late in Massachusetts when even bars, most bars, close at, like, 1. Yeah. Oh, they're pretty much uh, exclusively catering to college students at 4 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not so crazy to me that she would have tried to see if they were open at 3.40 on a Thursday. Yeah. And given that the call was only two minutes it seems like she never actually made contact right like she got the machine maybe saying our hours are blah 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 yeah yeah so i don't think it was long enough to order order something because the last call that she made when it was open it was like five minutes so it's about right so bottom line i don't think that there's anything to these calls well it looks like she was ordering pizza yes or trying to or attempting or to, trying order, to pizza order pizza and trying yeah. the only place that is known to be open past 2 or 2 30 in amherst or any of the surrounding areas that delivered yeah makes sense i don't know why we're talking about this 